Bibles to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. If you're using one of the chairback Bibles, you'll find our text tonight on page 990. And what we want to look at is the first five verses of chapter 3 for reasons I trust that will become clear enough, uh, soon enough, uh, these words of Paul to a church that he planted in Thessalonica. So let me read the passage for us and then I pray that God would bless our study of it and we'll begin together. So listen now as the Lord does speak to you through his perfect word once again. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And thus far, the reading of God's word, let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you for your truth, a grace and truth that has come in its fullness in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask this night that our Lord Jesus Christ himself, you are great God and Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, that this night, by your very word, you would comfort our hearts, that you would establish our souls and every good work and word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I would tend to think that many of you would agree with me that a prayer is the hardest work of being a Christian. And children, it's always true, isn't it, that the hardest works are the greatest work, the hardest things are the greatest things. And I, throughout my life, have always been fascinated by uh, these stories of mighty men and women of old who faithfully and, and fruitfully showed forth a life devoted to prayer. And it reminds me of this story of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is considered by many to be one of the greatest English-speaking preachers of the 20th century. I have a friend that spent five years, something like a decade ago, he spent five years reading through all of Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons over and over and over and after five years of reading Lloyd-Jones' sermons over and over and over, what he came away struck with the most from Lloyd-Jones' life and ministry, from those sermons, well, was that Lloyd-Jones was a man of, of prayer. And if you were a member of his church during you know, the early to middle 20th century, you would probably agree with it as well. There's this famous story told of Lloyd-Jones being behind a pulpit kind of like this. In June of 1944, students, if you know your world history well, June of 1944 was a rather calamitous time in, in England. Now, the nation of Germany had been launching for a few weeks at least their vaunted V1 bombs toward London. Lloyd-Jones was there behind his pulpit in the midst of a prayer when a, a V1 bomb exploded on a street just nearby, maybe a block or two away. It was close enough that the, the whole congregation's building, it shook. And understandably in that moment, it was though on impulse, the, the congregation rose immediately in the midst of his prayer. 
White dust was kind of falling down from the ceiling in light of the nearby explosion. And as the story goes, as the people were standing at attention, waiting for direction as to what to do in the midst of this distraction and interruption, Lloyd-Jones just kind of wiped the dust off his Geneva robe and bowed his head back down and picked up in the prayer exactly where he left off minutes before. And everyone sat back down, realizing they were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And so a friend of mine was reading through all of these sermons from Lloyd-Jones and the reason why his life of prayer so stood out because Lloyd-Jones would often say things like this. There is nothing that tells the truth about us so much as our prayer life. That's quite true, isn't it? Not only of our life privately, but even our, our life corporately as a church. There's nothing that tells the truth so much about us as our prayer life. And so what we want to do tonight in 2 Thessalonians is turn our attention to some prayers from the Apostle Paul. And my reason for doing so is last week, if you've been with us in recent weeks, we, we concluded a, a series of studies through the minor prophet of Hosea. A Lord willing, our assistant pastor, Seth Miller, he will start a series through another minor prophet, uh, Malachi, next week. And so I'm in this kind of in-between stage between the minor prophets, as many of you knowing, uh, tomorrow leaving for a few months sabbatical that the elders have graciously given me to do some uh, various work projects that I need to get done, largely by way of writing. And so I thought it together quite appropriate to take even some things that we looked at this morning in our sermon and uh, give from Second Thessalonians something of an expansion and elaboration of uh, what I'm calling our theme of parting prayers from Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Because, of course, I trust that you noticed, really, in what we get in Second Thessalonians 3 is nothing more than Paul telling the Thessalonians, pray for me, and just so you know, this is what I'm praying for you. And what I want to do from our five verses is give you five parting prayers. I want to take what Paul says there and, and apply it directly to us in five simple ways, and that's all we want to look at along the way tonight from the end of Second Thessalonians. And if you know anything about Paul's relationship with the church at Thessalonica, you might remember that it was in Acts chapter 17 that he planted the church in this important city. As best we can tell, it was probably planted only in the course of maybe even three weeks of him preaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And the word had come with, with incredible power there in Thessalonica. Such power, in fact... And that the Apostle Paul was kind of harried out of the city. He was banned in so many ways from coming back. And so, as, as best we can tell in, in further study from it, what we get in probably Acts chapter 18, when Paul's in Corinth, uh, Paul decides to send his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, back to Thessalonica. Because Timothy can come back. Send Timothy back to Thessalonica and wants to discover something, a report of how it's going with these young Christians. And that was the first letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica after Timothy came back with the report. It was a letter that was full of this wonderful truth about how God's word in the gospel of Christ, it creates a church, it builds a church, it matures a church. And sometime later on, he decided, we don't exactly know how long after 1 Thessalonians, but probably not that long after, he wrote another letter. It seems as though it's meant to address some of these things that were continuing to go about the ordinary life in the Thessalonian church, even answer some of the issues. And just as it was in 1 Thessalonians, what, what Paul does in 2 Thessalonians, in, in the middle of the letter, he gives a benediction that would make you seem as though 
The letter's done. But as, as you might know, some of you have lived long enough in a church, whenever a preacher says, now I want to tell you in closing, it doesn't mean at all that the preacher is necessarily closing. Because if you glance down at our text tonight, if you look above to the final verses of chapter 2 in Second Thessalonians, you'll, you'll see that he gives a benediction, doesn't he? And then he begins in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers. So he intends to close with final instructions and admonitions. Now what I want to take from these first five verses of his final instructions and admonitions are five simple prayers that I want us to take to heart over the course of these coming months. So the first is simply this. Pray for swiftness. Pray for swiftness. You notice he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. You know, if you know anything about Paul's letters, you know, this, this mighty man of God uh, that encountered the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was never shy, was he, in asking people to pray for him. Inevitably and invariably, at the end of one of his letters, he's going to tell people, I need your prayers. He'll even command the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1, you must pray for me. I wonder when was the last time you asked someone to pray for you. If someone like Paul is, is eager and earnest for people to pray for him, shouldn't we likewise be eager and earnest for people to pray for us? And don't even undersell who he's asking to pray for him. In all likelihood, he's asking very immature church members, perhaps only recently converted to Christ months before, you must pray for us. Ministers and missionaries alike, don't they thrive? And in so many ways, they depend on the prayers of the most ordinary church members for them to be faithful to their work. And notice, uh, the faithfulness of the work is, is what the swiftness is to which I allude. Notice, as the text continues, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. The word, therefore, speed ahead, it's, it's a word from which we kind of get our English word of trek. It comes from the running word. World. It speaks about uh, the, the word running with pace and, and with power, such as the idea that Paul has here with the Thessalonians. And it's not just the pace that he's eager to see come about. Notice as the text continues, it's also the productivity of the word. He says that it may speed ahead and, and be honored as happened among you. And if you read the story of Acts 17... And then you read 1 Thessalonians 1, when he talks about what the word did in Thessalonica. He uses this incredible language. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in full conviction, and the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, we're, we're eager to see, we're asking you to pray that the word would run swiftly ahead and sweep up souls for Christ Jesus with power with amazing strength. This is what he's praying for, swiftness in the word, as happened among you. It might be a good thing for us to do, wouldn't it, to uh, try to examine ourselves rightly. What, what, would be, what would we be able to honestly say the word has done among us? You know, he's looking at the church at Thessalonica. Yeah, this is what the word did among you. It created a church. It built a body. It, it saved sinners. Well, what's the word done here? 
uh, what, what might other people say would be true, let, let the word run swiftly, just like it did over at Redeemer in McKinney, Texas. Could that be true? Would that be true? Pray for swiftness. Number two, pray for deliverance. You'll see verse two. He says, that way we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Only a couple of years ago, post-COVID in our Presbyterian, our county, it was quite common for pastors to take sabbaticals, such was the reality that COVID meant to the exhaustion of, of ministry. And I sat down with a brother a couple of years ago that was getting ready to go on sabbatical for the first time in over, over two decades of ministry. And he told me that he was really anxious about leaving for a few months because he didn't know what dangers might confront the church in his absence. And he was concerned that things might not go right while he was gone. And I've thought about that often over recent weeks as I've been and our family has been preparing for my own sabbatical. And I, I, I want you to know that I don't have any anxiety whatsoever about leaving. Uh, I don't have any worry whatsoever about what's going to happen in months of an absence from me. Part of that's because I trust your leaders. Part of that's because I trust you. Much of that is because I trust that the Lord will take care of you. And clearly that's what Paul is saying here, isn't it? That even though the midst of his confidence before the Lord, which we're getting ready to see in, in verse 3, he still is praying not to be complacent, not to be lethargic in the midst of his gospel ministry. Because, of course, there are wicked and evil men that are abounding. You know anything about Paul's ministry? They seem to haunt his every corner, come out of every nook and cranny. He's always needing help as he's fighting against the evil one for not all have faith. And of course, we, we find ourselves, don't we, in these summer weeks and months, or it has to be true that one of the principal temptations of our enemy is that we would fall complacent, that we would become relaxed, perhaps even lethargic to a degree spiritually, that evil might creep in unnoticed. So when he's saying pray for swiftness, when he's saying pray for deliverance, what's he really praying for in verse 2? For asking, asking prayer for is nothing more than what the Lord Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer, right? That we'd be delivered from the evil one. And that leads to the third thing, because it's built upon, verse 3 is built upon verse 2, pray for confidence, not just swiftness and deliverance. Number three, pray for confidence, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. A few weeks ago, <clears throat> Emily was working at the hospital on a, on a Friday. I was inside working away on, on my computer in our family room, and one of the younger children came in and said, Daddy, so-and-so is stuck on the roof. And I said, well, how did he get up there? Well, he climbed up there. Well, why is he up there? Well, because he accidentally threw something up there that he wanted to get down. So why is he still up there? Well, he's too scared to get down. Well, tell him if he got up there, he can get down from there. And that this went by for minutes. Daddy, he's still up there. Well, tell him that Daddy says he can get down from there. Trust me, minutes and minutes and minutes passed. Daddy, he's still up there. He can get down from there. And eventually, he came inside. How'd it go for you, man? He said, well, it was a lot easier than I thought. 
he came in with this sense of confidence about something he had now experienced. I knew he could get down. And don't you know from the Apostle Paul's gospel ministry that, that all of his experience by the Spirit's power and for the Lord Jesus meant he had immense confidence in God's faithfulness. Because he's saying, pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. And you notice he says in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. He's going to do it. Not just for us, but, but also for you. And the glory of, of this gospel truth, but God is faithful, is that, of course, our confidence doesn't rest in our capability. Our confidence rests in what? God's character. He is faithful to deliver you. How many problems do we get ourselves into in the Christian life? Because if we're honest, we have not confidence that God is faithful to keep his promise. That God is faithful to deliver his people from sin. That God is faithful to provide in the midst of our need. That God is faithful to deliver from affliction. That God is faithful to grant us the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. So we must pray for swiftness, deliverance. We must pray also for confidence. Fourthly, we must pray for obedience. You see, he goes in verse 4 to say, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Uh, the word there for confidence, it, it could easily be translated as something like persuade. We are persuaded that you are going to do what is right, is what Paul says, even though we're not there. You know, kids, I'm sure that your parents, perhaps, in recent months, or students, those of you who are older can remember back times in your life, previous years, where maybe your parent has left you at home, you're old enough to be left at home, but they gave you instructions as they left. Now, just because I'm not here doesn't mean you get to do this. Now, I know I'm not here, but make sure you're a blessing to perhaps your babysitter that's taking care of you. Because, of course, there's something that, that's peculiarly powerful in, in uncovering the nature of a person's obedience in the fact of obeying when no one else is looking, obeying when the normal authorities are not there, obeying when parents aren't there, obeying when pastors aren't there, because of course a heart of a Christian filled by the Spirit knows God's always there. And he has confidence, doesn't he? We're persuaded, Paul says, that you're going to keep doing the things that we have commanded you to do. So pray for swiftness. Pray for deliverance. Pray for confidence. Pray for obedience. Finally, pray for endurance. You know, if your email inbox is anything like mine, you might get these emails throughout the week that come from uh, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ that have attached to their email, you know, the, a signature that is a Bible verse. And it isn't often true that, that that Bible verse functions perhaps as something like a life verse for them, uh, a text that's been uniquely powerful for them. It's this, this kind of sign off and send off into the internet space. And many of you have gotten an email from me before and noticed that I just simply always sign it Jordan, nothing else, just Jordan. And if there was, however, a, a verse that I would attach to my email signature, I promise it'd be verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's my favorite benediction in all the Bible. My favorite benediction that we have every time that we use it 
even here at Redeemer, notice what he says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The word direct there, it's a wonderful word in the original. It speaks of, of making straight. So kids, you can think about just removing all of the hindrances, removing all of the obstacles, removing all of the hurdles, make straight into this destination, is what Paul says. And his prayer is that they would get straight into two realities, isn't it? You see, notice they would get straight into God's love. For is there a better place to get straight into in your heart and soul, your mind and strength than God's love? And isn't that something that we see, of course, most gloriously at the cross of Jesus Christ? Because just like you might go down a highway later on tonight, there'll be a sign pointing you to a destination. What is the cross of Christ but this majestic spiritual sign pointing you to God's love? You want to know what it means that God loves sinners like you. Hasn't God's word told us that perfect love is shown in this, that a man laid down life for his friends. In this is love that God, while we're still yet sinners, sent Christ to die for us. And it's not just God's love into which we're to get straight. He wants us to secondly direct our hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. It's a word steadfastness that you can easily translate as endurance. You can translate as, as, as patience. Surely it's meant to summon to our a conscience something of the command in Hebrews chapter 12 that our lives will be little more than looking unto Jesus who is the author, who is the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I, I I think what Paul is saying here is that, that his prayer is that the Thessalonians would, would ever more understand and live in light of these objective realities. That your heart would get straightway to God's love. That your heart would get straightway to Christ's endurance. And as so often happens, as those objective realities find their application in the Spirit, they subjectively show up in our life, don't they? That this would be a church of incredible love for God, of incredible endurance in Jesus Christ. So these are simple prayers that we can part with in coming months. Swiftness of the word, deliverance from evil, confidence in God's character, obedience to God's will, and endurance in Jesus Christ. I have for understandable reasons, I suppose, been, been reading letters recently uh, from these old pastors who were often removed in God's providence from their pulpit for, for many months on end, usually for health reasons, a sickness and disease. And one of the ones I read recently, I found a man that was removed from his pulpit for sickness and disease, and he had, he had put this, this young upstart preacher in his place. And the Lord just blessed the church immensely in this young upstart preacher's ministry. And the older preacher, writing from afar, said this, You are given an answer to prayer. I hope you may be a thousand times more blessed among the church than I ever was. Perhaps there are many souls that would never have been saved or served under my ministry, who may be touched under yours. And God has taken this method of bringing you into my place. So I leave you with these prayers saying perhaps God has taken this method 
to put me aside for a period of time to focus on other things. That he would put someone else here that might be a thousand times more blessed. That you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is precisely where this letter ends. Notice verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us by your word and spirit in your son, Jesus Christ, and pray that our great God and Father, you who is our Lord of peace, would give us peace at all times in every way, and that the grace of your son would be with us always. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen.